Hello, everyone. It is Ryan here, host of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Now, this is a podcast where I get to have conversations with some amazing people from all over the world who have stories to share, experiences we can learn from, and knowledge in areas that we can use and apply to our lives to make us better and happier people. Now, each episode has a different topic, but all geared towards helping us along our own pursuit of happiness and helping us understand this journey we call life just a little better. We'll touch on everything from mental health to nutrition, diet, fitness, travel, adventure, relationships, and believe me, much, much more. All along this journey, I'll experiment and apply some of the advice and information from my conversations to see how it affects me along my own pursuit of happiness, and then report back to you. Now, don't forget, if you enjoy this episode or any other episode, please take a moment, subscribe, leave me a rating and a review. It is truly, truly appreciated while also helping get these great conversations to even more listeners. And boy, oh boy, do I have a good one for you. Welcome Paul McNeil, the owner of The Crypto Curator, brand evangelist and technologist. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I try to dive into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I swear about 20, 30 minutes later, I have a headache. I can't understand this. I can't figure this out. So that's where Paul McNeil comes into play. Paul has a decade's worth of experience working with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and understanding everything behind the scenes. And that's where I said, Paul, I need to have you on and we need to break down the basics. And that's speaking layman's terms for myself and everyone listening. Now, I'm not kidding. When we ended this episode, I was pumped. I finally understood this. He made some great comparisons throughout this episode for everyone to finally get a grasp on what cryptocurrency and Bitcoin actually is, as well as blockchain, Ethereum, NFT, and how to invest in all of this. And for those of you who have paid some attention to Bitcoin, you've seen it go up over the last five, six, seven months. So I ask him, is it too late to get in the game? And where do you see the future of cryptocurrency going? You definitely want to listen to that. Actually, let's be real. You want to listen to this entire episode. It's going to change the way you understand cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and perhaps even change the way that you invest for the future. I cannot wait for you to listen to this. So Paul McNeil, thank you so much for breaking it down. And everyone get ready for this episode because it is amazing. Let's go. I I am honestly really, really, really excited for this one. I'm excited for a lot of my podcasts, but this is one I've been dying to have for a while. Um, you know, we have a mutual friend in, in Brian Andreco. I'm very happy he made the introduction. I definitely take advantage of it. Uh, so, Paul McNeil, welcome to the show. And uh, if you don't mind, you're going to do a better job of introducing yourself than I would have you. So, please go ahead and do that. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. We do, in fact, have that mutual friend, Brian. I actually met him probably about, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago now, it was at wow. Next Gen Summit. So, and that's when we got to start talking crypto and stuff back then. So <laughs> I was that's trying awesome. to what we call orange pill him then, but uh, my background, not to go crazy with it, but, you know, I graduated high school. I went into the military. Military taught me a lot. I stayed in it for 10 years, served in submarines, 
had a blast doing that living underwater. Uh, didn't think it was humanly possible, but it was is. That, was uh, that pun intended. He had a blast doing that. Or, uh, <laughs> but also, once again, th- thank you for your service and happy Veterans Day as well. Hey, it was an honor to serve. I had a blast doing it. Got out of the military. I went to go work for a government contractor for a couple of years. I transitioned over to the government side, had a government job for about a year before a good friend sort of encouraged me to help him with the business. And so I did that and I got into entrepreneurship, did that for about eight years. And then I started my own business, but that's when I came uh, aware of Bitcoin. So back in 2011, I came across Bitcoin, just like everybody else looked at it and was like, okay, this seems really crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after paying a little bit more attention to it, I think I had it, thought I got it. Uh, eventually, um, I was sitting on the Loudoun Chambers uh, Tech Coalition, Chamber of Commerce Tech Coalition. And as I was learning about this thing, I would every meeting we'd have, I'd talk about it. And so I tried to convince them to do a panel on Bitcoin. And they were like, no, we're not doing that. And so I was like, okay, let's do one on payments. And then I sat on the panel, talked Bitcoin. So I bought a little Bitcoin at the time. And like they always say, once you buy a little bit, you're going down the rabbit hole. You know, fast forward to today, I've been consumed with this. I've been doing a newsletter website for about five years. Super, super, super excited about it. Oh, that's awesome. And so am I. I'm going to pick your brain as much as humanly possible. Honestly, like, so when I do, I do a podcast, I have notes, I have an outline, I have all that stuff. I have it all right here. One of the first things I have is right here. I look at it and it says, this might be a multi-episode podcast to keep breaking down cryptocurrency because I have a feeling it goes really deep. So I think the benefit of this episode for myself, and I'm going to imagine most of my listeners It's just going to be to kind of learn, like, I don't know, the surface level stuff, like to understand what exactly is Bitcoin and what exactly is cryptocurrency. We keep hearing these words every single day, and I can't imagine how many people don't actually know what that is. I have an idea, but I'm still lost. So I'm really hoping you can help break break things down in like layman's terms. Um, And like I said, just get to the surface level and... um, yeah, honestly. So let's just go ahead and and give it a start. Um, sure. What in the world is cryptocurrency? Good. That's a great question to ask, and it's a great place to start because there's a little bit of confusion with that term. Uh, Bitcoin and most of these things that we call cryptocurrencies, they are not currencies at all. Um, they're more like digital assets. And that term, I first heard someone actually say that was Rick Edelman about three years ago at a conference called the Digital Asset Strategy Summit. He says, we keep calling these things currencies. He says, but they're not currencies. What they are is they're digital assets. Greg Foss up in Canada, bond trader guy, he said the exact same thing. He said, Bitcoin is a great digital asset, but it's not yet a currency. So now the Bitcoin white paper says it's a peer-to-peer electronic currency. That's what it says. But we have not yet let it mature to the point to where it can be used as a currency. Now, some places do. But here in the United States, we really don't use it as a currency. The tax laws don't really look at it as a currency. It looks at it as a commodity. So what you're dealing with is a digital asset that's incredibly secure. It's incredibly decentralized. It's censorship resistant. And that's what you have. And that's just Bitcoin. We won't worry about the rest of the stuff right now, but just Bitcoin, that's what it is. Okay. And just to make sure we're on the same page, what is the exact definition of currency? Yeah, currency is 
something that's recognized by the government for a medium of exchange. And so the way that money goes through, it goes through a process. First, it's a store of value, and then it's a medium of exchange. Then you have a unit of account. So a medium of exchange means I can take a dollar and buy a cup of coffee with it. That would be seen as currency. And there is an organization that determines that that's FinCEN, and they look at the money system, they look at the products and they say, okay, this is going to be considered a currency. Now that has to be recognized by the government, of course, and the government is the one that gets to pick what's going to be legal tender is what they look at as legal tender as currency. And Bitcoin hasn't yet achieved the status of legal tender. So it's just an asset. Do you believe at some point it will achieve that status? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that Bitcoin is ultimately going to become that medium of exchange. But here's the problem that we have today, the price fluctuation, the volatility that you have on a day-to-day basis, an hour-to-hour basis, it's too much. And we're seeing that happen right now, 65,000, 55,000. Can't buy stuff with things moving like that. So now they say once Bitcoin can reach about a million dollars of Bitcoin, you can use it as a medium of exchange then because the fluctuations, you won't even feel it because it'll be so far down the decimal mark that, okay, doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. That's making sense because Brian convinced me to throw some money into Bitcoin and we'll get into Ethereum down the road here. And I have some money in there. And of course I put it in at its peak and of course it's gone down since. What the hell? But um, so I think as we record, this is at 58, which is funny because it's going to date it. Um, Yeah. But uh, so you see this at some point going up and up and up, correct? I do. And here's what most people don't understand. And hopefully this will also help the listeners understand a little better. Uh, Mark Yusko, he runs a organization called Morgan Creek. Uh, it's a, so I, I'm assuming that they, they classify like a hedge fund, but Morgan Creek. And then he has Morgan Creek Digital. They just actually did an investment in one of the companies, Gemini. Uh, to do a project, specific project in the metaverse. But the, the point that I'm bringing up is that Mark Yusko has a great interview on a podcast called the Brave New Coin Podcast. And he says that Bitcoin is the best savings technology the planet has ever seen, the best savings technology. This is what people need to understand is that Bitcoin right now is the best vehicle for you to put your money into to make it keep its wealth. Now, the reason I bring that up is, and this is hope people understand, there are 21 million Bitcoin. That's all there'll ever be. Now, people say, well, how is it that there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin? In the code that was written that controls the Bitcoin blockchain, it says that there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. So it's the scarcest commodity the planet's ever seen. Gold is not that scarce. We can go find another gold mine and dig up more gold and gold has a inflation rate currently about 2% every year. Bitcoin, that's not the case. There's only 21 million. And so each Bitcoin does have, and this is where hopefully I don't lose some of your listeners, each Bitcoin, think of it like you would a dollar. A dollar has what? A hundred pennies in it, right? That's what makes a dollar. Well, with Bitcoin, one Bitcoin has a hundred million Shatoshis, and that's the smallest unit of a Bitcoin. So you can think of it as a fractional type system, right? If I own one Bitcoin, but I have a hundred million Shatoshis, if Bitcoin ever makes it to a hundred million dollars, 
each Satoshi will be a dollar. So now you all of a sudden have a dollar, you can go buy coffee, you can go buy whatever within, everything will be priced in Satoshis. Mm, okay, so I'm visualizing basically like Bitcoin is almost like this plant that just got put in the ground and starting to get watered and it's starting to grow. And once it reaches like kind of a certain height or a certain maturity, that's when you can actually start using it for our benefit. That's correct. And right now, Bitcoin just became a teenager. It's 13 years old. It okay. turned 13 October 31st. Halloween is Bitcoin's birthday and it turned 13 years old. It's wow. been battle tested. It's been battle tested and proven. It's never went down. It's never went away. It's never been hacked. It's going to be in a phenomenal store of value and a phenomenal currency one day. Do you think it will overtake our current currency or do you think it'll work alongside of it? I think it's going to work alongside of it. I think ultimately what's going to happen is that you, it will, it, I do believe it will eventually replace the dollar as the global reserve currency. I think it'll be a global reserve asset first, then it'll be a global reserve currency and everything else will be pegged to Bitcoin. Like everything's pegged to the dollar today. So I think there will be a, turning of events that will allow that to occur, but that's 10, 15 years in the future. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Okay. And so just to kind of rewind a little bit, you said Shitoshis, and I believe this person or people are the ones that created Bitcoin, but he or she or they remain anonymous, correct? Correct. That Well, almost. Uh, a good, good, good friend of mine, his name is Gerald Vata. He's with Quantum Economics. He just released a paper explaining who he believes Satoshi Nakamoto is. And that person happens to be a gentleman by the name of James A. Donald. He's a Canadian. And through a lot of really good detective work, and you would have to read his paper on this about, I don't know, I forget how many pages it is. It's not that long. But I encourage people to read it because it's very fascinating, the research he's done and how he came to that conclusion that James A. Donald might very well be Satoshi Nakamoto. So, but so far, that person's anonymous. We still don't know if Gerald is right. Gerald could be wrong, but he's, it looks good, but wow. we don't know if that's it. Okay, well, that's interesting. So I'm going to have a two-parter coming for you right here. Yes. Why was this created and who came up with 21 million? Where did that number come from? Yeah, you know, Shitoshi Nakamoto and his genius, uh, and he wasn't the first person. There were a bunch of cypherpunks that have been working on this concept of digital gold or digital money, e-cash, hash cash. There have been a lot of names for him, Nick Zabo, Hal Finney. There's a lot of people who have been trying to work and solve this issue. So in the Genesis block of the Bitcoin white paper, there is a... A phrase, and I probably should know this by heart, but I know, but something like chance was on the brink of bailout. That's when the banks were getting bailed out back in 2008. And uh, it's believed that Shitoshi is like, okay, enough of this bailing out of, of, of banks and bailing out of systems. We need to create a way where money doesn't have the ability to be controlled by a central authority. So the beauty of blockchain technology is it removes the middleman from almost everything it touches. So it's really a pretty much one-to-one -one type deal like Bitcoin. I can go on a website called localbitcoins.com uh, local and I can find someone here near me and I can say, hey, I want to buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. That person will meet up with me. I'll give him $5. I'll scan his QR code and voila, I have Bitcoin. 
It didn't require a central bank. It didn't require a middleman. It didn't require anybody except for just me and that person exchanging money peer to peer. Okay. So when you say middleman, can you break down that definition? And can you also give an example of how having a middleman is a negative? Sure. So just look at, um, say I want to buy a house. Uh, There are a lot of middlemen involved. There's a realtor, there's the bank that's going to give you the loan, there's insurance people, there's just a ton of people you have to deal with. I just can't come to you and say, hey, I want to buy your house, I'm gonna give you the cash, you give me the house, have a nice day, walk away. Mm -hmm. That doesn't doesn't happen because of a trust issue. And with Bitcoin, there is no one to trust because you're trusting math and you're trusting the blockchain. And the way that this whole system works, it's on what's called distributed ledger technology, DLT, distributed ledger technology. Think of it like you would a Google spreadsheet. Say I have a Google spreadsheet and I write down, Ryan owes me $10. And on your spreadsheet, you write down, I owe Paul $10. So that's sort of first level accounting, just both of us have it. Now, if we find a third person, we can have that person in the middle and we can say, hey, Ryan owes me $10. And that person said, yep, I saw that you said Ryan owes you $10. And Ryan says, yep, okay, and we all agree. Now you take that and you spread that amongst a ton of people, hundreds of millions of billions of people now have this ledger. If one person tries to lie and say, no, 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 really, Rhino Paul's $100, they go, wait a minute, that's not true. It doesn't match with all the other ledgers, you're out, right? And so this system is able to build trust in a trustless system. And that's why Shitoshi made it the way he did to take middlemen out. You don't need escrow, you don't need any of that because the blockchain does all that for you. So when you say you're out, like what is the penalty? The penalty is if you're operating on the blockchain and you try to do something malicious like, you know, fake an entry or something like that, the network will penalize you and silence you. I think it, and if I've got this correct, and this is where I can't get really deep and technical with it because I really don't get that deep. But I think it like silences your node for like an hour. And then if you do it again, it'll do it for a full day. And if you do it again, then it never lets you back in ever again. So Hmm. there is a trust system that's built into the software, the way it runs, that it won't let you back in. I kind of like that. It holds you accountable and you're really not going to try to screw anybody over. I do like that. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of go back to this kind of almost currency payment sure. system. So yeah. how would I, if I wanted to give you five bucks, like you were just saying, how would I give mm-hmm. you $5 of Bitcoin or Satoshi's or whatever you would call it? Yeah. So right now um, there are platforms that are built that allow you to do this. Now, if we were in person, mm-hmm. it would be super easy because I could have a hardware wallet on my phone and that's what they call it a hardware. It's really a software wallet on my phone. But if I met up with you, you mm-hmm. could give me $5 and I could scan your phone and I could send you $5 worth of Bitcoin right on the spot. And it goes across the network to your phone and you now have $5 worth of Bitcoin. Okay, so what is that soft kind of download an app for that? Like what would that be called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one wallet called Exodus, which is a really, really good wallet. It's very intuitive and it's very easy to use and you can transfer um, money from one to the other. Now we can do it just like this too. You could open up your Exodus wallet. I could open up mine. I can copy an address. Now this is, again, gets a little tricky for people to understand, but it's no different than email. I could give you my, what they call public address. I could say, hey, Ryan, here's my public address. 
send me $5 to this address. So on your wallet, you would say, of course, from you to this address that Paul gave me, $5, send. And that would come right over to my wallet, and I now have $5. Now, I have a private key, which is like my password for my email. Only I own that. If you ever give someone your private key, they can take your money because they have your public address and they have your private address. Boom, they got what they need. What does so the key never want to let what, what does the key look like? Is it a password? Like, what is that? It's about, uh, I think it's like 16 different digits. It's a really long string of digits. It's numbers and letters and it's uppercase, lowercase, and it's just a string of information, basically. And you can put that into a specific field and then that lets you get access to Bitcoin. Okay. And so what was this wallet again that you just said? Exodus is just one type of wallet, but that's a software wallet. It's one of the top wallets in the market. It's called Exodus. And so, you can go to exodus.com. Okay. So Exodus, so you can store Bitcoin, but can you invest and watch it grow in Exodus? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what it is, is that anytime you buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. And really, to be honest, Everyone says Bitcoin. There's no such thing as coins. There's no really no Bitcoin. What it is, is you're controlling an address, a private address and a public address. You have a public address, just like, again, email, paul.mcneilgmail.com. That's an address. So I control that address. Any emails coming in, any emails going out. Do I actually own that on some particular computer? No, it's in the cloud right? It's on the internet. It's just out there. So all I'm doing is saying that I have the right credentials to access that part of information in the cloud on the internet somewhere. That's all. Bitcoin's the same way. Nobody really has any coins. Okay. Exist. Okay. And so I personally have invested in some Bitcoin myself using the Robinhood app and Coinbase. Yes. Um, yes. what are the other options? And so like, also just to confirm, so let's just say I put a thousand dollars into Bitcoin. Does that mean I owe little Bitcoins or Satoshis? Is that, am I technically an owner now? Yes, you are definitely. And, and the way I probably look at it is, and I might switch this up a little bit. It's not really that you own anything. What you've done is you locked away a thousand dollars worth of value on a box in the internet somewhere, right? That's what you've done. And you are the only one who knows where it is and have the key to unlock it to get that thousand dollars of value back out. That's what you've done. So you really haven't invested in anything. What it is, is what Mark Yusko said. It's the best savings technology the world's ever seen because the value is constantly really going up. Right. Okay. And so that's what you're watching. You're watching. And actually, and to make it even clear, this is what we say in crypto world. You're not watching Bitcoin increase in value. You're watching the dollar decrease in value. That's what's really happening. The dollar is debasing itself against a hard asset, which is Bitcoin. So that's what you're watching. You're watching your dollars get worthless, 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 because it's taking more dollars to get this same asset. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. That's just the way that it is. But how many dollars does it take to get a Bitcoin? It used to take a dollar for dollar, but now it takes you $65,000 well, to get one Bitcoin because mm. the dollars are worthless. I, I have a personal question. I'm curious. When did you start getting a Bitcoin? What, how much did it cost? 
Yeah. So when I first heard about it, just like everybody else, I looked at it and I was like, this is insane. This is stupid. Right. But mm-hmm. then the more I paid attention, I was fortunate and I literally say fortunate, fortunate and crazy enough that I got it at $125. Wow. That's awesome. It's almost like having like awesome. the, the first like 10 or 20 accounts on Facebook. <laughs> Just to be like, I was, I was one of the first. Or to have your actual name on a Gmail account. Like I missed right, that boat. Right. I waited way too long. I had numbers to it. Um, right, right. All right. So we have Robinhood and we have Coinbase. What um, yes. other, other software and or apps can we use to invest in this? Yeah. So what I tell most people is the average person, I would assume, knows about Cash App. I'm assuming everybody has Cash App. Someone's done something with Cash App. It's like Venmo and it's like PayPal. Cash App is just up there. You can buy Bitcoin or Cash App. And it's actually what I consider a better way to buy Bitcoin, better than PayPal and better than Robinhood. And why is that? Because currently today, you can move your Bitcoin off of the Cash App platform and you can do whatever you want with it. With Robinhood and PayPal, and I do believe they have a process where they're going to allow you to do it in the future. But today, I don't think you can just move your Bitcoin off of PayPal, off of Robinhood. The problem with this and what most people don't understand is that if you can't move the Bitcoin off in order to get Bitcoin out, it becomes a taxable event because it's a commodity and it's a long term or short term gain. If you held it less than a year, if you sell that Bitcoin and you've seen some appreciation, you have to pay capital gains tax or you just have to leave it on Robinhood or you have to leave it on PayPal. Eh, it's not the end of the world if you have to leave it there, but that's just the way that it is. So Cash App is one. Strike is another. Strike is a lightning app. And lightning, without getting too technical, is what they call layer two technology for Bitcoin. But it allows you to move money across the world at no cost. It's just like a Venmo or PayPal. I can zip $100 from here to El Salvador in split second, and it costs nothing. Okay. And one of the things that's coming to my mind immediately is if someone um, gives me Bitcoin, can I spend it? Yes, you can. How and where? (laughs) Almost everywhere. Visa and MasterCard has partnered with a lot of these platforms and they allow you to actually spend your Bitcoin. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you, there's so much great news that's breaking today that we're doing this interview. So um, PayPal just announced that they've now partnered with, and I forget who it is. Let me take a quick look and I can tell you, but they just did a big announcement to where they partnered with someone to allow you to use your Bitcoin and I think over 350 merchants. Um, So that's pretty pretty awesome. Now I'll get into why you shouldn't do that, uh, but they've made that possible. So as you research this, is it okay for someone to have some Bitcoin in Robinhood, in Coinbase, in Striker, and all these different platforms. Is it okay to have it in different locations? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's a great thing to have it in multiple locations because if anything was to happen to one of those, you know that you can always have your Bitcoin somewhere else. Now, in the world of Bitcoin, we have this thing called not your keys, not your coins, or not your keys, not your cheese. But what that means is that If you don't own the private key and the public key, then you don't own the Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you put Bitcoin on PayPal or Robinhood, you don't have a address and you don't have a private key. You have a login to those platforms, but you don't have the actual addresses. When you put it on an Exodus wallet, you have a public 
key and a private key. When you put it on a hardware device like a ledger or like Shapeshift, they have one called Key Key, a public key and a private key. You own both of those. So that means it belongs to you. But if you have it in PayPal or a Cash App, doesn't exist. Okay, so what's a public key compared to a private key? Yeah, so the public key is, again, that address like paul.mcnilly, protonmail.com, right? So it's, it's, it's the address that I can tell everybody and tell them, hey, send me Bitcoin here, and they know where to send it. Okay, and as you continue to, to research this, so like, yeah. I believe you said the private key is almost like a 16-digit number or something like that. Um, this may, may be a weird question, but if it's a 16-digit number, I'm imagining I'm writing this down somewhere, perhaps hiding it somewhere in my house. Um, mm-hmm. So if someone, or I don't know, is there safety issues as far as someone trying to steal someone's keys? Because there goes their entire fortune, right? I mean, that's got to be somewhat of an issue, right? Yeah. So, and we've seen this happen many, many times before people try to get hacked. Some of these platforms have gotten hacked. And that's where people sometimes get it mixed up. They're like, you know, oh, Bitcoin's been hacked. It's no good. It's like, no, Bitcoin didn't get hacked. A third-party software platform got hacked that have access to your Bitcoin. But it wasn't Bitcoin itself that got hacked. It's never been hacked. You can't hack it. Um, so that's what I would say is that people have – and here's another thing. In, 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 in the news today, there's a kid in Canada who did what's called SIM swapping. He SIM swapped people and stole their Bitcoin. How did he do it? He went to a local Verizon Sprint T-Mobile store, said, hey, listen, I lost my phone. I need to get my phone. And with that, and I still don't know the inner workings of this scam, but it's really good. But basically, they go and they get your phone number. Mm-hmm. And then they do a forgot your password on your email. And then once they get into your email, they then go to Coinbase. They go to Gemini. They go to Kraken. And they do a forgot your password. And the moment that they do that, and it sends the recovery code to your phone, because people do this and they shouldn't. They use their phone number as their two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. Because he SIM swapped you, he now has access to your phone. Now he gets in your account and moves all the Bitcoin out and he's gone. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm so, imagining people listening to this are like, is this really safer than just putting my money into a bank account? Yes, it is. Because here's the thing. Rather your money's getting stolen from the SIM swapper or rather your money's getting stolen from the government by printing out trillions of dollars and inflating your money away, you're losing it either way. I'd rather go with Bitcoin and be smart about my Bitcoin and how I hold it and how I handle it versus leaving it with the government. And plus, in, tw- in 13 years, we've seen Bitcoin go from $0 to $55,000. So. Okay. So as you can tell, I'm, I'm running off all, a lot of these questions here. And you're doing a great okay. job. You're doing a great thanks, job. Thanks. Um, okay. So another question. So yeah, they, they, I, yeah, go ahead. They didn't say who it was. It just said breaking PayPal has enabled Bitcoin payments at checkout with millions of merchants is what they said. Okay. So PayPal is probably what they've done is just like you can take PayPal right now and go to Home Depot and you can use PayPal. They now have an option where you can say pay with Bitcoin. Wow. Okay. But that is very volatile, like you said. So it might be worth one thing one day and something yeah. another, even hours, yeah. like yeah. you said. Yeah, one day you go buy something, you're like, man, that's great. I bought that rake and it originally cost me 10 bucks, but now it's basically cost me two bucks. Right. Or you could be like, I bought that rake, it cost me 10 bucks and now it's cost me 10,000 bucks. <laughs> right. And I was I was showing this to my girlfriend uh, last week and I was like, you know what? Let's just 
she had a Robinhood account. And I was like, for start, for starters, let's just get a hundred bucks in Bitcoin and we'll start slow. Right. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we did that at like nine o'clock at night. You can invest in this or put money into this anytime you want. The markets don't open or close with Bitcoin, right? Correct. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it's been that way for 13 years. Okay. And um, all right. So another thing I want to get back to, I don't want to go over this just yet, but you said blockchain multiple times. We'll talk about that momentarily. Yeah. Okay. But um, I'm imagining people are like, oh, the cloud and computers and all that stuff. What happens if uh, the computer shut down or there's computer issues and stuff like that? Can you go into that? Yeah. So as I said before, Bitcoin is the only decentralized censorship resistant technology. So it's decentralized. There is no one computer that runs the Bitcoin network. It's running on millions of computers globally. So even if the entire United States lost power, you still have Bitcoin running on servers all over on the West, right? So, or the SARC. And so you've got tons of computers running this blockchain and you can have access to it 24 seven, no matter where you are. In order to stop it, you'd have to shut down the internet completely. And that's not gonna happen. It's never happened, so. Okay, because I was thinking like, let's just say, God forbid, a Chernobyl happens and it wipes out the West Coast or whatever. Does nothing mm-hmm. to nobody's money, everyone's Does. money. Wow. Nothing at all. It's all decentralized. Okay, wow. And um, so you just brought up like PayPal starting to get involved. And yeah, I believe you brought up to me and I saw it in the news that uh, the Staples Center out in LA is now, what, the crypto, what's it called? The Crypto Arena or something? What is it? Crypto.com Arena. You got to be a big fan of that, right? I mean, that's that's getting the name out there a little more, huh? It is. It is. And that's not the first, right? We have FTX Stadium that's in Miami. You have FTX, I think it might be even Center or something like that that's in California somewhere. FTX is one of the largest exchanges that are out there. Same Sam Bankman-Fried, 23, 25-year-old guy, multi-billionaire, runs a very popular platform. Um, you've got CZ, which is... Um, Shenzhen Pao or Shengpeng Zhao, I forget how to pronounce his name, but it's CZ for short. Uh, he runs Binance, which is probably the largest uh, platform. You've got Coinbase, you have Kraken, you have Gemini, you have all of these exchanges. And these are what we call on-ramps. It's where you can take fiat dollars and push them into digital assets. Okay. Um, maybe we need to go down that road, but I'm just thinking, so how does... Um, you know, if, if I were to bring a dollar over to Europe and I would need to obviously exchange it, does Bitcoin exchange easily? Does it not exchange at all? It does. If you're meaning, so again, Bitcoin is Bitcoin all over the globe. It's no different. It's not like it's Bitcoin here and it's Bitcoin something else somewhere else. It's just Bitcoin. So if you have Bitcoin on a wallet and you're here in the United States and when you go over to Europe, you can use Bitcoin there just like you would use Bitcoin here. No different. Okay, that's no exchange great. rates. I never yeah. thought about that. That's actually super beneficial. That's really phenomenal. Cool. Phenomenal. Okay. Okay. I, I hope that people are listening to this. Like, thank you to this person for, <laughs> for asking all these very simple questions and you answering that. You're doing a great job. I'm Thanks, loving thanks. this. This is, this, is, this yeah. is so great. Okay. So you've said blockchain a few times. I don't want to ignore yes. that. Can you please dive into yep. blockchain? Yeah. So, and again, I would encourage all your listeners and I understand people, some of you might not be technical and you're like, I don't like to read, you know, like the Bitcoin white paper, please Google it and please YouTube it because you can listen to it or you can read it. 
the Bitcoin white paper. This is where it all starts from. Shitoshi Nakamoto published this white paper and said, hey, guys, take a look at this. I've created this. What do you think about it? That was the first thing he did on a, they have like a little email list that listserv that they were on. He pushes it out to the world and say, take a look at what I've created. Uh, this is about nine pages. I'd say the first two, the last two, probably not too much intro and some other stuff at the back. In the middle, you got five pages. That's the meat of it. I'd say three in the middle of that is super technical. You're not really reading that much to understand this, but read the white paper. Now, in that white paper, never once does it say blockchain. People in their infinite wisdom and ability, we like to shorten things up. And so we say blockchain. It says chain of blocks. And that's what really it is. It's a chain of blocks. Think of it as you would either a puzzle or a train. If you have a train, you have that engine on the front, you got the caboose on the back, but that engine on the front is what's pulling this thing, right? And it's pulling down the tracks. But in order for it to do that, it's linked. And each car is linked to the car in front of it. So I can't just go to a train, snatch out the middle and the car, and it's going to keep going. That, it'll break the train. So that's the way Bitcoin is. When they created the Genesis block, that was the first block. And it was a block of transactions. And this is what people need to understand. Earlier, I said it's a, dis, a, um, a distributed ledger technology. It's a ledger, just like you have at a bank. If I go to a bank, they'll record it. So it's a ledger. So that first train car is a box of transactions that's been recorded that says certain information. Now, when I go to make the second block, I have to take a piece of the first block, like that little deal. I have to have that piece of the first block to link to the second block. Mm -hmm. So now I've got two blocks. The third block, when it's made, it does the same thing. So if someone wants to go in and lie and change a transaction in the second car or the third car, they've got to change the stuff in the second car and the first car. This is what builds the security for blockchain technology is because every block has a piece of the other block in it and they use what's called hashing. It's a hashing of information and that hash is made with a piece of the first one. So to make it, Again, super easy for people. Think of it like you would a Google spreadsheet. Everybody has a copy of it. Everyone can see it. But then take all of that Google spreadsheet and put it into a block, and that becomes one of the blocks. And then you do it again and again and again. The Bitcoin blockchain right now is so massively long that if someone wanted to hack it or break it, it would literally cost them billions and billions and billions of dollars. Wow. Okay. They can't do it. And even if they did it, they can only change something once before we recognize that they've hacked it and everyone would switch off of that chain onto a new chain and the longest chain will always be called Bitcoin. Is the chain constantly growing or it is? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So it makes it harder and then harder and then harder to break. Yep. Okay. Um, before I go off a little bit of a slight tangent here, is there anything else on blockchains you want to cover? Or do you think that pretty much does it? You know, it pretty much does it. And what people need to understand, again, this can get really technical fast and it can get a little bit hard to understand. But what you do have to understand is that this whole blockchain is really made up of three sort of players. You've got the coders who write the code to maintain the code. And we just had a code update like you do with Windows or your iPhone, right? You get your iPhone and it says, hey, download the new upgrade. You download it, install it, and you're good to go. Blockchain has the same thing, and there are Bitcoin blockchain coders. They're constantly working on the code, improving things, making things better. 
So that's one piece of it. The second piece are what they call nodes, node operators. You can be a node, I can be a node. As a matter of fact, a lot of people encourage people to run their own node to support the network. And then you have miners. And miners are the guys responsible for bringing Bitcoin into the world. Because when the miners mine the blockchain, and what they're doing is when I say mine, they're keeping it secure. Think of it like a security guard at a building. That guard is standing there getting paid for the time he's standing to make sure no one comes in that building and to make sure everything is good to go and everything is safe. So that person gets paid. So the miners get paid and the code is what pays them. The code has a function that says every 10 minutes, someone will get paid for keeping the network secure. Who are these people? Cause I, you had me at like computers and security and stuff. And then you got people involved and I don't trust people. So who are these people and where do they come from? These people are everywhere. And Texas has become the home to a lot of miners right now. Over in China, if you've ever been paying attention, they had a lot of people mining until the government came out and said, no more mining. So they booted them all out of the country and they all came over to the United States and they all landed in Texas. <laughs> but, but there are a lot of companies, no, oh, not companies, but there are a lot of individuals also that are mining. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be on a, um, I myself won't be, I'll be watching and attending and listening to a, uh, an event being put on by Compass Mining, which Compass will allow you to buy a miner, they'll host it, they'll power it, they'll cool it, and they'll let you get the money from it. Um, but they've now teamed up with nuclear reactors, and now nuclear reactors are powering Bitcoin miners for clean energy. Wow, Okay. And so, how, does, yeah, it gets crazy. How, how does someone become a miner? You can buy what they call an ASIC miner. There are the Ant Miner S9s, and they have new improved miners now. But those miners, all it is, is it's an ASIC. And again, without getting technical, apply um, application-specific integrated circuit chip. So ASIC, ASIC. ASIC miners have one job, mine the Bitcoin network. That's all you need to do. Just mine, mine. And what, what they do when they're mining is that they're verifying transactions that have been running through the network. And again, this can get super complicated, but they have a nonce and all this stuff. Basically, what they're doing is they're making sure the network is secure. And if the network is secure, they get Bitcoin. Okay. So they're still not considered a middleman. No, no, they're, they're not a middleman. What they're doing is they're actually introducing Bitcoin in the system. Now, the miners are the ones that since they get the Bitcoin first, they get to sell the Bitcoin to everybody else because that's how you get Bitcoin in the system. A lot of these miners, though, today, they're holding on to their Bitcoin. They're not letting them go. So now we're having a supply shock problem, not enough liquidity in the market. When you go to buy Bitcoin, uh, nobody wants to sell until that price gets right. So until the price gets high enough, everybody's holding on to their Bitcoin. When will the price be high enough for you? And I know that's just, uh, that's very subjective. What are you looking at in, in the future, near a future and distant future? Yeah, so I sort of uh, take the Michael Saylor approach. If people know who Michael Saylor is, he runs a company up in Northern Virginia. It's called MicroStrategy. He started buying Bitcoin, I think maybe a year and a half, two years ago now. And he finally got what this is. And he said, I'm never going to sell. I'll never sell. I'm going to hold on this for a hundred years, right? It's like land in Manhattan. And so I sort of feel the same way. I mean, there will be some point at which I might decide to sell some of my Bitcoin to pay off some of the loans that I've taken against some of the assets. And we can get into that because that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, I don't have a price right now that I'd be willing to 
sell Bitcoin for because I think it's going to go to millions upon millions of dollars. So, well, correct me if I'm wrong. You do want to enjoy some of your riches, right? I mean, <laughs> you live well, that's what that, that's what I've been telling you. So, and your 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 listeners are going to be like, "Wow, this is blowing my mind." But listen, there are platforms out there. They're called BlockFi. They're called Celsius. They're called Lend. They're called Crypto.com. They're called Nexo. There are multiple platforms that allow you to collateralize loans. So here's the beauty of this. If I needed money today, I could just go to Celsius and I could say, I need a loan. They say, okay, we'll give you a 25% LTV, a 33% or a 50% LTV loan. Which do you want? I say, okay, I want a 25% LTV loan. That means loan to value. So I give them a $100 and they'll give me $25, right? Now they'll do that at 1% APR. Okay. Free money, free. You can't get money any freer than that because all you're paying is interest on that loan until the end of the loan. So if I get a $100 loan for them for a year, I mean, if I get a $25 loan from them because I give them 100, they give me 25, then all of a sudden I'm only paying interest on that for the whole year. Meanwhile, the price of Bitcoin is appreciating all year long. By the time it gets to the end of the year, I could take the appreciation, pay the loan off. I still have my Bitcoin and more. So I never have to sell Bitcoin. With these loans, you can roll them over and you can roll them over and you can roll them over. And so if you're going to give me free money, I can keep rolling this load over at 1% forever and I'll never sell my Bitcoin ever, but I'll always have money. Wow. Okay. So if someone wants to learn and dive deeper into this, where can someone learn more about exactly what you just said? Yeah. So go to Celsius.network. Celsius.network is the website. Alex Mashinsky is the guy who runs that. Alex Mashinsky, just for people to understand who this guy is. One, he's a billionaire. So he's got more money than you and me. And he really doesn't care about money, to be honest. I, I believe, I honestly believe that he doesn't. Why is he a billionaire? He's the guy who created VoIP. The very thing that we're using now and all this technology where you can make phone calls over the internet, that guy created that. And he created it up in New York. And he convinced them to put VoIP into the subways and stuff like that. So you could be on a phone conversation no matter where you are. He created the technology. So now he says, I'm creating MOIP, money over IP. And he's doing that. And he is, his tagline for Celsius is unbank yourself. Because if you put enough capital into Bitcoin, you don't need a bank. Why would you need a bank? You can borrow from yourself at 1%. You can, you can earn interest 6% on your asset. I don't need a bank anymore. So it's a beautiful thing. Wow. Okay. Powerful. I think this, if, I, if I'm fortunate enough to have you back for a part two, that might be something I need to research more. And we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into that. I don't want to lose people here because I feel like we can go down in the weeds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so back to blockchain real quick. I believe you can invest in blockchain too, correct? You can invest in companies that are doing things on blockchains. Right now, mining companies are IPOing left and right. As a matter of fact, there was a miner that's doing a SPAC, and I'm sorry, people, I'm not going to even try and explain what a SPAC is because you probably could do a better job than I could at that. But they're doing SPACs and they're IPOing left and right. I mean, it's nuts what's going on right now. And they're doing it to the tune of $4 billion, $8 billion SPACs. And so all of a sudden, you've got ways. And, and not only do you have miners you can invest in, but there are funds that are now exist where you can invest in a like a mutual fund that hold nothing but blockchain type companies in it. So you're investing in the very 
companies that are building this technology. So, yeah. Okay. So full disclosure, I'm looking at uh, some of the stocks that I own. And a few months back, I bought some stock in Riot Blockchain. If that sounds familiar, you're shaking your head. Maybe you can explain what it is real quick. Yeah, no, Riot Blockchain, they're one of the miners. That's a Bitcoin miner. And so those guys mine Bitcoin. They've came out with a company that will allow you now to invest in it called Riot Blockchain, but they're actually a miner. Do you see these companies being good to invest in? as block so they they probably go as bitcoin goes right correct and the great thing about that is that (laughs) it's crazy too if bitcoin is number go up technology these guys are always going to be doing fine now sometimes they they don't have great earnings because they have to pay for electricity they have to pay for hosting they have to pay for the miners so sometimes the cash is upside down on some of these things until and the price of bitcoin if bitcoin price tanks then they're not doing so well anymore so so goes bitcoin goes these companies so it's a double-edged sword because like you get investing coinbase uh as well i believe that just came out what like a few months back right it did. It was one of the largest IPO. Well, they actually didn't do IPO. They did a direct listing. So I have to correct myself. I got corrected on that on Twitter. Uh, Coinbase did not IPO. They did a direct listing, which is different because they didn't raise any money. They just listed. and But they were the largest one at a $100 billion listing. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So if you're suggesting, and I don't want to say you, I don't put words in your mouth, that people okay. do that people do put some money into Bitcoin because you see it going mm-hmm. up and up and up. You would probably suggest looking into investing into something like a Coinbase and or a Riot or a blockchain mining company, correct? Yeah, I mean, people can do that. Actually, the best one to probably go for is go to MicroStrategy. It's basically an ETF. What he's created is an ETF. So MicroStrategy came out. They put $400 million into Bitcoin. That was their first push because Michael Saylor said he had like $500 million, I believe it was, in cash in their treasury reserves. And they said, we've got to do something with this. We can't leave it in a dollar because the dollar is getting debased. So we've got to put this somewhere. Where do we put it? I'm not going to put it in real estate. I'm not going to put it in gold. I'm not going to put it in you know, bonds. So let's put it in Bitcoin. So they did, and they saw the performance, and they're like, okay, this is good. Then he took $275 million of his own dollars and put it in Bitcoin. And then he came out and he says, I'm going to do a convertible note that's going to mature in like seven years, 6.25%, I think, convertible note. That got oversubscribed. And then he came out and he says, I'll raise a billion dollars. No, I think he said I'll raise $900 million, uh, just a regular uh, debt, debt offering, $900 million debt offering. That got oversubscribed over a billion. Then he came out and said, okay, I'm going to sell an additional billion dollars worth of company stock. And that got oversubscribed. MicroStrategy owns over 118,000 Bitcoin. Wow. So if you're going to buy a stock, you might want to look at MicroStrategy because he's never going to stop buying Bitcoin. And I think he's always going to do pretty good. Holy shit. Okay. So I'm looking at this right now. MicroStrategy, M-S-T-R, correct? And yep. So for people listening, this is obviously right now today, which I believe is the 17th, 18th of November? Eight, uh, 18th. 18th of November. And boy, oh boy. So it looks like two years ago, it blew up. It went from yep. 160s to the peak of over $1,000 in just a matter of months. And we're looking at 727 right now. So it looks like it's probably down a little bit as Bitcoin has gone down the last week or so. Um, right. Okay. 
Now, just so people understand, and again, you know, this is not financial advice. You got to go talk to your advisors, all that good jazz. But here's what people need to understand. And this is another key thing people need to listen to. Listen to a guy by the name of Robert Breedlove. Robert Breedlove has the What Is Money show. Great show. He normally talks with Michael Saylor on there, and he talks with a couple other people. But Michael Saylor is really good. Him and Robert talks about this a lot. But I was listening to Robert Breedlove talk to Anthony Pompliano a while back, and he said something that caught my ear, and I've never forgotten. I've never let go of it. It's an equation, basically. And I want all your listeners to write this down, put it on your mirror, look at it every day, put it in your car, put it around your wrist. I don't care. Just remember this. 21 million fixed supply is what there will always be of Bitcoin. And we know that 4 million are lost, so there's about 17 million Bitcoin. Plus massive demand, and I'll come back to that, equals number goes up. This is basic economic theory, right? Supply and demand. If you have a fixed supply and everybody wants it, and you have such a limited supply of it, the number has to go up. It's called number go up technology. So Bitcoin is going to be that. If you don't believe it, listen to the people that's wanting to get paid in Bitcoin. Sports players are saying, pay me in Bitcoin. We now have mayors of cities trying to jockey each other for who's going to get paid the most in Bitcoin. First, there was Mayor Suarez in, in, in Miami. He said, I'll take a portion of my pay in Bitcoin. The new mayor in New York that just won, he said, I'm going to take my first three paychecks in Bitcoin. The mayor in Miami says, I'm not going to get out done. I'll take all of my paycheck in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Then the mayor that was in Jackson, uh, Tennessee, said, I'm going to get paid in Bitcoin. Then the mayor in Tampa said, I'm going to get paid in Bitcoin. Now you've got these people jockeying for getting paid in Bitcoin. That's, that's, that's good. Then you've got El Salvador, who actually made Bitcoin legal tender right next to the dollar. So not only do you have El Salvador buying Bitcoin, they're using it as a medium of exchange in El Salvador. And then you've got big companies like MicroStrategy that are buying tons of Bitcoin. So the massive demand piece is there. It leaves you with the number go up and number is going to continue to go up. There's projections of Bitcoin going to half a million, a million, north of a million within the next 10 years. Do you believe in those projections? Apps, there is not a doubt in my mind. You couldn't beg me to say, I mean, it's being proven. Like I tell people, and here's, here's another thing I challenge your listeners to do. Go back 13 years. Bitcoin was worth $0. People talk about how volatile it is. Fast forward 13 years, and it's now worth $58,000. let us call it 58 Start today saving in Bitcoin. And in 13 years, I can't say I promise you, I can be have a high degree of certainty that a probability that Bitcoin is going to be north of a million. People will look back and say, man, I wish I would have bought Bitcoin at 58000 No duh. We told you it was going to go up. It's only $21 million. We have this in recording. <laughs> and you know what? So, 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 so just to say that me and Brian just did a podcast recording. Two years ago, me and Brian was doing a podcast. Guess how much Bitcoin was? Probably what 10, 15, maybe was just $8,000. Wow. And I told him then the same thing I'm telling you right now. And that was two years ago. I'm on record telling him, listen, $8,000, dude, get it. It's going to go up. Oh, I don't know. Everybody's waffling. It's up. All of a sudden, two years and we're at $55,000 from eight. So what I'm telling you today is that you're going to see Bitcoin be well north of a million one day. And people will look back and think, man, 
I wish I would have got in. So what is the resistance? Is it just the confusion, the un- lack of knowledge? Why is there a resistance and why isn't it going up faster? Yeah, Anthony Scaramucci probably said it best. Anthony Scaramucci said, the more people learn, the more people will buy. The more people learn, the more they'll buy. And that's what I believe. And that's why I tell people, I don't want people listening to me because I'm going to mess stuff up. I'm going to say stuff wrong all the time. Here's what I want people to do. If I can get you to read what I read, watch what I watch, and listen to what I listen to every day, you're going to get it. I promise you. You're, most people are far smarter than I am. They're going to get this stuff. But they got to read, watch, and listen. I'll give a person an article to read. And I can tell you if you read it or not. Because if you don't come back and say something, I know you didn't read it. Because I promise you, if I gave you an article, it's going to be explosive. And you're going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. So rewatch and listen. So I clicked on the MicroStrategy article real quick. I'm just going to read the first little paragraph. Sure. Um, just kind of echo what you're saying. So it says MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor says, Bitcoin's digital property characteristics make the digital token primed to reach a $100 trillion market cap while di- digital energy applications can be worth as much as $500 trillion. Wow, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. What you just said is actually really important because there was another podcast talking about this. And here's what they said, and it didn't even dawn on me this until I listened to that podcast. Hmm. They were saying, this is an energy play. Bitcoin is an energy play. Why? Because energy producers are in the business of producing energy and then moving that energy, right? So you have a power station, you generate energy. Now you got to send that energy to all these houses and stuff like that, right? Oil, you have to pump oil out of the ground. Then you got to take and ship it off to refiners and they have to refine it. And then they have to do something with it and they put it into gas and they put it into cars and blah, 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 right? What happens when the energy provider no longer has to ship energy? Because the energy provider is going to put Bitcoin miners on it and they're going to make money right there. And they're going to make more money with Bitcoin miners sitting there than they did shipping the energy. I don't need to ship energy anymore. I'm going to, this is what nuclear power reactors are saying right now. They're saying, wait a minute, we can put miners here on site and we can power these miners and we're going to make a boatload of cash with it. Oh, we're not shipping it. Why ship it? You don't have to. It's an energy play. Wow. It's brilliant, man. It's brilliant. This is mind blowing. Okay, so it's mind blowing. There's probably people listening to this and saying, "Okay, the only thing we've talked about is Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin." But yes. out of the woodworks, here come all of these other ones, and as well as I mentioned a long time ago now, Ethereum. So what's Ethereum? And then let's break that down a little bit, and then we can kind of just mention real quick about it, all these sure. other altcoins that are coming out. Sure. So first, there was Bitcoin that was created back in 2008, and then there was Litecoin. A guy by the name of Charlie Lee, who worked at Google, eventually went over to Coinbase and became like, I think, number two or three employee at Coinbase. He decided to fork, and I know that's a weird term, but he forked the Bitcoin code and he created a new asset called Litecoin. It's sort of like Bitcoin's little brother, little sister, right? Um, and then Vitalik Buterin's dad, Dmitry Buterin, heard about Bitcoin and his son at the time, teenager, he was like, hey, check this thing out. And so Vitalik being the, and I say this in a loving way, the nerd that he is, took this thing and was like, wow, this is amazing technology. And he created what he calls smart contract technology. And Ethereum is a smart contract platform. Think of it as you do the Apple Store. When the Apple Store came around, its software 
that allows you to build other apps on top of it, right? That's what people have done. So Ethereum is the same thing. It's a platform that allows you to build other applications on top of it. Here's the catch. You have to have Ether, which is the digital asset, to pay for the utilization of that platform. So it's a utility token. It was never meant to be peer-to-peer electronic cash, none of that nonsense. Ethereum was made to be what they call gas on the network. So if you want to use the platform, you need to spend Ethereum or Ether to do it. And that's how that came into existence. Are you a believer in Ether as much as you are in Bitcoin? Yes. And the reason I'm a believer in Ether is because Ethereum has undergone a protocol change. It's called EIP-1559. And it moves it from what they call proof of work. That's what Bitcoin is. It's proof of work technology to proof of stake technology, where you now stake your digital asset on a node so that you can make government decisions. And again, that's way technical and everybody will be like, whatever. So you can zone that out. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Ethereum is becoming more and more scarce, just like Bitcoin. So as Ethereum becomes more scarce, number must go up. And that's why you're going to see Ethereum go to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. The Winklevoss twins thinks it's going to make it to $40,000 in Ether. As a, as a grand finale or 40,000 in like a year or two? What are you thinking? Uh, 40,000, I think they, they're talking maybe in five years. I think they sort of have a five-year outlook on that, maybe. Okay. And uh, we'll touch back on Ether in just a moment. So what was the yeah. purpose of creating the fork for Litecoin? If you've already got Bitcoin, that's just this great thing. Why bother changing it? Because at the time Bitcoin was going through its uh, problems of being able to process transactions fast enough. Remember the Bitcoin blockchain only confirms transaction every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So imagine trying to go buy coffee and you got to wait 10 minutes for your transaction. Like you swipe your card and you got to wait 10 minutes. They're like, no, that doesn't work. So Charlie was like, how can we speed this thing up? So he created Litecoin. There are 84 million Litecoin instead of 21 million. And the transaction times is like, I think it's something like, two minutes, I think it is, maybe even shorter than that. It's a lot faster. So he was trying to make it to be currency because at the time Bitcoin really wasn't currency. It was slow, but it was very secure. But he was trying to speed it up with Litecoin. Now Litecoin's become like a test bed for Bitcoin. So whatever happens on Litecoin, they can know they can move it on Bitcoin because it's the same code. So if it works here, it works there. So Bitcoin has sped up their process since? No, Bitcoin is still always every 10 minutes. What happened is that we've come out with what they call layer two technology. This is what Lightning Network is. And Lightning is amazing because Jack Mullers, I would call him Mallers, Jack Mullers is his name. He's the one who created Strike App. And what Strike App does is it uses the Lightning Network, which is the Bitcoin payment network, to move money. So when he went down to El Salvador and they talked with the president down there, and they convinced them to buy Bitcoin and to make Bitcoin legal tender and all this stuff. They can now move money between the U.S. and El Salvador, and it costs zero, and it takes like literally seconds. Like right now, if I was to zip you $5 over on Lightning Network, boom, it'll happen just like that. And it, it's not Bitcoin that I'm moving. I'm moving U.S. dollars across the Bitcoin network, mm. which is amazing now because now I can move money globally at no cost, I can move a million dollars across the Bitcoin Lightning Network, no cost. Where else can you do that? The bank can't do that. It would cost people 20% to move from here to El Salvador and Western Union. 
Zero. So are banks resistant to this because they're losing out on all that extra cash? They used to be, but now they're partnering. Thanks mm-hmm. to our friends at NYDIG. NYDIG is N-Y-D-I-G, New York Digital Something Group. Uh, they have now made it possible. And in, in, in conjunction with Brian Brooks, who was the OCC, the Office Comptroller of the Currency, he put in regulation that said banks can now buy, sell, and custody digital assets. So NYDIG has now partnered to make sure that all banks can buy, sell, and custody Bitcoin. And what just happened in Australia was the largest bank in Australia now said in their app, their mobile app, you can buy Bitcoin. This is going to happen to every bank. If you have Bank of America, you'll be able to go into your app and buy Bitcoin. If you have Chase, if you have Wells Wells Fargo, you can buy Bitcoin right in your app. When will that happen? Because I have all of those. Well, Q4, they started with, I think, Australia. The NYDIG is doing some other stuff, but I think you're going to start hearing about this a lot more in 2022. And by the time 2023 runs around, everybody's going to be like, of course, we buy Bitcoin. Yeah, what's the big deal? We, we do it in our app, a bank app. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be listening to this podcast over and over again multiple <laughs> times. Um, okay. Yeah. So I have another question for you. Uh, sure. WTF is an NFT. What are we talking about here? Yeah, this is going to be good. So <laughs> NFT, so, so Bitcoin is what, well, the goal for Bitcoin is to make it fungible. There's like five properties of money I'm not good at. It has to be divisible. It has to be transportable. It has to be immutable. It has to be fungible and something else. So fungibility means that if I give you a dollar, it's the same as a dollar is a dollar. If you give me a dollar, it's the same dollar. There's no difference, right? With NFTs, it's called non-fungible token. Non-fungible means everyone is unique. So I can take and I can make, you know, I can make this little pair of earpod things its own identity, which means there's only one of them in the world. Mm -hmm. This is the only one. If this is the only one that has a lot of value to it now, right? If Bitcoin was valuable with 21 million being scarce, this is super scarce now. And it's unique. And I'm the only one that can own this. That becomes really, really valuable. So artists have now started taking hold of this technology and they started creating digital art that they can now mint as an NFT. Well, again, another really big news story came out today that said that the, uh, the NFL is now going to make every game. Let me make sure it was the NFL. I think it was the NFL. Uh, was it the NFL? I'm sorry. So there's so many news stories breaking so fast that I can't can't keep up. It's a great uh, yes. to have you back on. <laughs> yes. So here you go. So here, here's the headline, folks. The NFL is attaching NFTs to tickets, and the Lions Thanksgiving game is on the list. Every ticket sold for the rest of the year from Ticketmaster will have an NFT attached to it, which means the ticket you hold is a unique ticket and only you hold that ticket. Now, here's the beautiful thing when you look at it from that perspective, like Mark Cuban said, if I can start issuing tickets as NFTs, I can get royalties. So let's say a scalper wants to go buy 100 tickets from me. Sure, buy 100 tickets if you want to, but built into that ticket is an NFT and there's a code that if you give it to someone else or sell it to someone else, he can get a kickback royalties for that ticket. He wasn't able to do that before, but he can now because it's an NFT. Or he can say every first ticket holder, first person ticket holder can get a gift bag when they come to the game. 
But if you're a second ticket holder, you can't. You'll just come into the game, but you don't get a gift bag because you're not the first ticket holder. That's interesting. NFTs is going to change the game. Timberland, he said his next song he makes is going to have every track as an NFT, and it'll allow you to buy those tracks, and now you can remix the song and make your own song off of the song he What? Made. Timberland, look it up. <laughs> Timberland, Timberland's my favorite. I love Timberland. I, I'm not kidding. I, I've loved Timberland for, for, for many yeah. decades. Uh, he's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're speaking my language here. We've gone to the NFL and Timberland. Yeah. This is awesome. Now I understand everything. I, I love both of those things. Okay. Yeah. So, so. non fungible tokens is a way to have a unique identity to everything. And, and think about that, Crazy. whether it's IDs or cars or houses or clothes or shoes or you watches, you name it, everything gets an ID. Okay. So I am also a digital artist. I am a graphic design designer. Ooh, wow. um, okay. What am I doing wrong with not having like NFTs or whatever? Like how do I get into the game? You need to go to OpenSea, which is a platform that allow you to mint NFTs on it and then you can sell it. It becomes a marketplace where people can go. They can view your art. If they like it, they'll buy it. And it's a way of monetizing it. And so I know there's people, including myself, I do follow a lot of NFT photographers on social media because um, I just think they're great that are like, mm -hmm. well, I could just right click and save as. Mm -hmm. What's your response to that? Yeah, uh, again, I'm telling you, this is a great interview because all of this stuff was in the news today. Uh, <laughs> well, this is awesome. Literally, uh, there's an article at the end of my website. It says that uh, Australia man, just pirated all NFTs on Ethereum and Solana. Now, what does all that mean? I don't know yet. I've got to really dig into this and get somebody to explain to me. But basically, all the NFTs that have been minted on Ethereum and Solana have been pirated and put on Pirate Bay. Now, I don't know what that means. Uh, does that mean that there is now two? But I know that that's not the case. He didn't steal all the NFTs. So I have to still dig into this. But yeah, I don't know the full answer to that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking like, you know, someone purchases something on NFT, but I'm looking at it right on Twitter. I'm like, well, I can just take a screenshot and have it too. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't, right. I don't understand. So, that. so, so the, so the issue with this is, is, is the same thing. Like someone was saying, well, you know, say you captured Michael Jordan doing a 360 dunk, right? Everybody's got a picture of Michael Jordan doing a 360 dunk. What makes it special? But what if Mark Cuban made his shot the NFT, and he can prove that it belongs to him. Well, I want the one that came from his camera, not yours. I don't care you got the same shot. I want the one coming from Mark Cuban's camera. That's what I want. It's just like a Picasso. Listen, people can make replication Picassos all day long, but you don't want those. You want the actual Picasso that Picasso painted. That's the one I want. And I want someone to authenticate that and say, this is the one. And then that's the one I'm going to pay a million dollars for. I'm not going to pay a million dollars for all the replicas out there. Who cares? It's a replica. How, how would you authenticate it? It has a code on the blockchain. There's an NFT code, that, the QR code that comes with it, right? All the NFTs has a QR code. Oh, if you have does. a QR code on it, yeah. you can. I, I'm, I'm almost certain it is. You can scan that code and you can show where it is on the blockchain and that it's an NFT. Okay. This is all kind of starting to make sense. Yeah, that, that Q, the QR codes is going to be magic to everything because that's the way you tell that it's on the blockchain in the first place. If it doesn't have an identifier on it, then that's the first thing to tell you it's not original. Right. Okay. Okay. And now, do you pay 
uh, for NFT with Ethereum? You can. Okay. How else could you pay for it? Uh, I haven't bought an NFT, so I'm not sure. But I think, well, you can use any of the digital assets. I mean, you can use Solana, you can use Polkadot, you can use Ethereum, you can use Bitcoin, you can use, you know, stable coins. You can use any of that to buy an NFT. Yeah. Okay. So he says Solano. That's something I had a conversation with Brian, just a personal one, uh, a few weeks yeah. back. And he said he was going to start looking into investing in Solano. Um, what is Solano? And uh, tell me what you think about that one. Yeah. Solano is another one of those smart contract platforms. It is a competitor to Ethereum. A lot of people think it's the Ethereum killer. The fees associated with Solano are supposed to be cheaper. And again, I have not went down the rabbit hole on Solano. I haven't bought Solano. But it is definitely trading the top 10 of all digital assets. Um, it's got a lot of, they just had a huge conference, uh, Solano conference. It apparently went over very well. There was a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews for it. Um, what people have to understand is that there's over 14,000 different assets. It becomes incredibly difficult to get your mind around 14,000 assets. It's just hard, right? Right. Um, so I tell people, again, I know a little about a lot. Uh, so this is why I encourage people to do the rewatch and listen, because uh, I'm finding in the early days, I used to could tell you almost everything in the crypto community. Now people come to me with stuff and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because yeah, yeah. there's so much. But I know Solana is a smart contract platform. I know it's got a solid team behind it. There's a lot of code improvements coming up for it. Uh, a lot of projects are being launched on it. Um, the assets performing very well. Yeah. So if, if that is the Ethereum killer, can Solano and Ethereum live in the same world or is one going to rule the other? No, just like we have Verizon and AT&T, T-Mobile and Sprint, we're going to have Ethereum, Solano and Polkadot and Cardano because nobody's all going to, everybody's going to have their tribe, right? And nobody's going to all gravitate to one platform. It just won't. Okay. And for fun, just, I'm going to ask this question. I have no idea um, about what you're going to, how you're going to answer this, but like, if you had to, I don't know, pick one of these other altcoins to, let's just say blow up in the next five to 10 years, do you have a choice? Do you have a selection? If I had to pick one of the altcoins that would blow up in the next five or 10 years. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, again, several that we've said, Binance token, I'm almost certain will explode, Solano, Polkadot, uh, and Ethereum. If I had to name four assets, all of those are in the top 10. Ethereum is number two, Binance is number three, Solano right now is probably sitting at number five, Cardano might be number six. Uh, these are projects that are well-run, solid teams. They're all double-digit billion-dollar market cap assets. As a matter of fact, I think Binance was actually at a $100 billion market cap. Yeah, I think they're all going to do incredibly well. I think you'll see all of those remain in the top 10 throughout 2022, 2023. I don't think any of them will ever flip Bitcoin or Ethereum. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it'll happen. So, Okay, so there's probably people listening to this who are like, oh my God, I cannot wait to get my money in some of this. So let's kind of revisit that again. So they just yes. heard all these different things. What would you advise them to do right now to start getting some money into these different altcoins? Great question. And I'm glad you asked. Here's what I challenge all of your listeners to do. And again, this is not financial advice. You have to talk to your advisor if you really want to do something. But I would say just to test the waters, do what you did. You and your, you and your wife did. Go buy 25 bucks 
And on Cash App, you can set it so you can buy $25 every week. Just do that. Just do 25 bucks every week. Listen, some people spend more than that on at Starbucks and on McDonald's or whatever. So go do that and just let it sit it and forget it. Walk away. Pick up your phone in about a month and look at it and see what's happened, right? You'll be like, wow, amazing. But while you're waiting for that, start reading, watching, listening. Read the white paper. Uh, start reading on some of the news articles. Start watching some videos. Watch some podcasts. Trust me, if you go to YouTube, I, you, you won't have to search far to find Bitcoin content or any crypto content. It's out there. So just start getting involved. And then as you look at it, if you want to buy more, you'll buy more. And as you learn about another project, you might want to buy that project. But here's the thing. If you start trying to split your money and be diversified, it's dangerous because even if an asset moves, if you don't have enough of it, you didn't move the needle. So if I have two Solano and Solano goes to 10,000 bucks, okay, yeah, I got 20,000, but had I put all my money or a lot of my money in Solano, it could be $2 million, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to understand, you know, basic investing, stuff like that. It's the same rules, but you know, if you want to diversify, you can diversify across some. Don't be like some people I hear. They're invested in 20 different assets. And I'm like, okay, that's great, but it's not going to do you any good, you know? It's like, it's like they're hedging their best. Yeah. And they don't have enough money to hedge their best. They're doing this like with a thousand bucks. I'm like, seriously, dude, like you not, not need to do that. Don't go buy a bunch of assets with a thousand bucks. If you don't have a lot of money, don't do that. Just go put your money in Bitcoin initially. That way, you know, you're putting it in the best savings technology on the planet. Start with Bitcoin. Okay. And just to confirm, um, we are not too late to the game. No. Uh, Mark Yusko says uh, the Star Spangled Banner just finished playing. So the game hasn't started, right? Ooh, I love you talk sports, man. I, it gets me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's crazy. And this is what I'm saying. People will not. I hope this is still live and people can find this. But in 13 years, they'll come back and listen to this and be like, wow, how did the guy know? I'm telling you, I'm watching this stuff every day. I've been doing this for five years straight, Monday through Saturday. I collect news. I put it on my website every day. I'm listening to videos, listening to podcasts. I'm telling you, telling you, telling you. If this all doesn't happen, I'm not the only person that's going to be like an idiot because Michael Saylor has 118,000 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. If anybody's going to hurt, it's going to be him more than me. So what is your website for people that are probably like, I got to check this out. What is your website? Yeah, it's called thecryptocurator.com thecryptocurator.com and they can go there and trust me, there's more information. If it's super overwhelming, I get it. Uh, at the top of the website, there's a deal say daily blog. If you click on that, that's a blog that I put together that has the top news article, the top video, the po top podcast, top blog, and then sort of my summarization of what I think is going on. So that's the daily blog at the top, but it can be overwhelming. I get it. a lot of information, but that's what I would encourage you to do is at least check the site out every once in a while. Paul, I got to say, man, you are the man. This is awesome. And I feel like we can keep chatting. I almost want to put the pencils down because I feel like anybody listening to this probably already maxed out their brain power for the day. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do want to give you an opportunity to chime in. Is there any other thing that you would like to bring up or discuss before we kind of settle this down? Sure, sure. Yeah. No, again, folks, listen, um, I've been at this for you know 12 years. Um, wasn't at the very beginning. Actually, it wasn't towards like 11 years I've been at this um, because I was, you know, 2011. So it takes a lot of energy to really get into this. But once you start, I will warn you, 
it will consume you. And that's just the way that it is. And if you don't believe me, go ask Mr. Wonderful from the Shark Tank, who forbade Anthony Pompliano for putting half of his net worth in Bitcoin. And now he has 10% of his net worth in Bitcoin. He was all against it. And now he's all for it. Michael Saylor, all against it. Now he's all for it. Anybody that comes close enough to this and start getting involved, they're all about it. And that's a good thing too. The more high rollers you get involved, the more it gets notoriety and the more it's kind of worth, right? Yep. Senator Loomis, she's in Congress. She's all about it. You got Ted Cruz here in Texas. He is, I mean, a champion for mining right now because it's benefiting him and his district, I'm sure. But, you know, politicians are getting in, bankers are getting in, businesses are getting in. Everyone is understanding that this is something that is no longer just a fad. It's not tulip bulbs. It's not a Ponzi scheme. It is legitimate technology that you have to pay attention to. Okay. And do you feel that perhaps, I guess, maybe like, quote unquote, when the younger crowd, I guess, starts getting more into politics, into the government and stuff, do you think it's going to play a bigger role because of that as well? It's going to play a massive role. Uh, Again, today, a news article came out that said, study, over 40% of people globally trust Bitcoin over their local currency. 40%. That is staggering, seeing where we've come from with Bitcoin, that now globally, 40% of the world's population trust Bitcoin more than they do their local currency. That should tell you something. Okay. Uh, Well, I think as soon as we finish this, I'm going to uh, get some more money and somehow, some way, forget my Starbucks coffee. I can deal without the caffeine. I can, I can go ahead and uh, start putting some more money into this. But um, so you said the crypto curator.com. Is there another way that people can find you? Uh, On Twitter at, underscore crypto curator at underscore crypto curator i literally live on twitter if you can't find me on twitter something's wrong this is awesome paul mcthero once again thank you for your service and thank you for your time today i genuinely hope you enjoy this as much as i did i would absolutely love to have you back on sometime in the future there's many avenues we can dive deeper in on but i feel like this was such such an awesome beginning podcast for people to listen and learn the basics of Bitcoin, Ether, all the altcoins. Awesome. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun, man. It was a blast. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you, Paul McNeil, so much for coming on my show and breaking down one of the hottest, if not the hottest topics in the entire world right now. I actually made it over an hour of talking Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and did not get a headache. That's success in itself, let alone I want to invest in this stuff even more now, don't you? So, Paul, thank you once again, and I will 100% be inviting you back onto the show to go even deeper. But until next time, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope this brought you some information and knowledge, as I hope for all of my episodes. So please subscribe, follow, leave a review, and I will catch you next time on the Pursuit of Happiness podcast.